About four months into his presidency, Obama gave a speech in Prague, and it focused on his vision for nuclear weapons. Now, one of those issues that I'll focus on today is fundamental to the security of our nations and to the peace of the world. That's the future of nuclear weapons in the 21st century. This was a pretty big deal, especially for us nuclear nerds, because it was his first real foreign policy speech, and it centered on everything about nuclear weapons. He talked treaties with Russia, nuclear weapons reductions, building communication, and fighting against terrorist threats. Basically everything you would want on a checklist. But now I'm going to focus on one line that changed the nuclear world, and the rest of the world as well. So today I am announcing a new international effort to secure all vulnerable nuclear material around the world within four years. We will set new standards, expand our cooperation with Russia, pursue new partnerships to lock down these sensitive materials. We must also build on our efforts to break up black markets, detect and intercept materials in transit, and use financial tools to disrupt this dangerous trade. Because this threat will be lasting, we should come together to turn efforts such as the Proliferation Security Initiative and the Global Initiative to Combat Nuclear Terrorism into durable international institutions. That was the beginning of the Nuclear Security Summit, one of the largest international efforts in history to secure nuclear materials. Now, if you've listened to this podcast or have talked to us about any sort of nuclear issue, you know that we take nuclear materials very seriously. But not everyone does, especially in other countries. We talked about the fact that building a bomb isn't very difficult in our Hiding in Plain Sight episode. And if we can't control the information needed to create a bomb, we can at least control the stuff that makes the explosion. Hello everyone, this is the Nuclear Warriors Podcast. I'm Alton Liu. And I'm Tammy Wien. Today on the show, we're going to look into the entire field of nuclear security and try to see how the security system might break and how nations around the world are trying to fix it. The Nuclear Warriors podcast is supported by the Reinventing Civil Defense Project and funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of the supporting organizations. Questions about the podcast or the Reinventing Civil Defense Project can be directed to Elton at NuclearWarriors.com. I'm just going to ask you a question and then you'll just like answer however. Okay. <laughs> Tam- Tammy. But there's Tam- this long thing that I wrote. <laughs> Tam- I don't know. You- Tammy. Okay. When I say something like, how do you imagine Russia or the United States protects nuclear material? Like, if we had an Ocean's 8 version of trying to steal nuclear material, what pops into your head? <laughs> I think it, uh, it'd be locked up in, like, some super secure location with, like, crazy technology that you always see in those spy movies and, like, big glass walls and whatever. Glass walls? Or, like, I don't know, it's <laughs> nuclear materials, so maybe it's just, like, stuck in a desert <laughs> where nobody can get to it like an area 51 but for nuclear materials but i also don't know if area 51 is actually kind of easy to get to mm. um but yeah, yeah probably I not but- i don't know like it, it's it was a hard <laughs> thing for me to imagine too like of course governments would try to protect one of the most valuable and dangerous materials in the world like at least a giant vault 
or something, right? Yeah, for sure. But you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Yeah, but it's not. It's not quite <laughs> like that. It's like, like even if you go back just a decade ago. Uh, all countries that have highly enriched uranium or plutonium uh, guard it. There's no doubt and account for it. But uh, that guarding and accounting is not necessarily as good as you might expect it to be. That is Professor Matthew Bunn of Harvard's Managing the Atom Project. And especially a while ago, it wasn't uh, necessarily so good. Uh, and that was actually the purpose of the nuclear security summits that President Obama launched. There were four, one every two years. And they brought leaders from countries all over the world together to talk about how do we put better security for nuclear bomb materials, for nuclear facilities that might be sabotaged, and for radiological material that could be spread all over the place and just contaminate an area in what's sometimes called a dirty bomb, how can we organize better security for all of that? So after we heard that from the professor, we were wondering how many times people actually tried to steal nuclear material. And we found that since the 90s, an average of around 20 cases of nuclear theft occur or are attempted each year. So we're just going to run through a couple of quick cases. Yeah. So in 1992, a Russian engineer managed to smuggle about three pounds of weapon-grade uranium from his workplace. He worked at some Russian research facility. Basically, every couple of days, he just put some uranium into his pocket and go home. He just stored it in a jar in his apartment, though he was caught later. In 1994, three men are arrested in Munich after a flight from Moscow, and they're carrying about 600 grams of reactor fuel. The German government basically did a sting operation where they pretended to be a buyer of plutonium. In 2008... Two Ukrainian embassy employees are found with nuclear material sitting in the trunk of their car, and it was estimated to be worth about $4.1 million on the black market. These employees managed to steal it from a nuclear holding facility in Russia and were trying to sell it to a criminal group, but they had issues with transportation or something like that. In 2012, a container of radioactive material was stolen from a nuclear plant construction site in Egypt. And in 2017, a group of activists from Greenpeace managed to break through two security barriers and launched fireworks inside the grounds of a French nuclear plant. I want to emphasize how ridiculous this is. These are incidents that have been happening for decades. Even just last year, it still highlights the weakness in a lot of nuclear security systems in the world. Honestly, these things have been happening. But, you know, we're kind of skeptical yeah, these things can be stolen, they can break into it. But obviously, nothing terrible has happened yet. So, Professor, can you tell me, how realistic is it for a terrorist group to actually acquire nuclear material? I know there's like accounting systems in place, but I just feel like it's a lot of worries for something that's so unlikely. Nobody knows the answer to that question. Um, so I would argue it's a small probability. But the consequences would be so horrifying that even a small probability is enough to motivate action to bring the probability down even further. No one, for example, in their right mind would operate a nuclear power plant upwind of a major city 
if it had a uh, one in a thousand chance per year of blowing sky high. But I think the risk we may be running of a city getting nuked may be in that range or higher um, from the way that we manage nuclear material in the world today. So I, I continue to think there's a need for better security for nuclear material. There are still you know, one, one or two countries that have the view that there's no need for armed guards at nuclear facilities. We've managed to convince almost all the countries that used to have that view to stop taking that view. Wait, which two countries are left? Uh, well, I don't want to tell your listeners exactly where the most vulnerable places are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's a good I point. <laughs> I can't recount for you how many journalists over the years have called me up and said, tell me where the easiest place in the world to steal nuclear material is. And I've had to say, really? <laughs> Do you really want me to give you the answer to that question? Um, think about that for a minute now. Ooh, something real bad could have happened because of you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there are these countries with pretty bad security, and two in particular are really bad. Now, a big point about all this nuclear security business is how international of a problem it is. In all the short examples we gave earlier, countries from around the world were involved. A smuggler from Russia caught in Germany. A Ukrainian living in Germany. You had Egypt and France, and those were just a few examples. Even the United States has issues with their security systems. And these security flaws come from anywhere. You know, like it's a smuggler, there's an insider, a researcher, it's someone whose brother happened to work there, or an activist, and they managed to break into a research facility, or a nuclear fuel site, or a nuclear reactor. And people's purposes are all different. You might want money, or for some darker purpose, or ironically, to demonstrate the weakness of the nuclear facilities. And then there's the other aspect of a higher chance of an accident occurring. There was a case in Thailand about 15 years ago. And there were some people who were scavenging through a scrap and garbage pile. In that scrap pile was a locked box that they assumed contained something valuable. But when they managed to get it open, they started getting radioactive burns from the material inside. You know, so now many countries have their issues, as we said. You know, Thailand and Mexico have pretty weak nuclear infrastructure. Russia, after the Soviet Union fell have a bunch of abandoned nuclear facilities, and even places that are still occupied lack strong security measures. Now, this was the state of the world that President Obama really pushed to solve with his nuclear security summits, and the process of improving security is fairly straightforward, actually. You'd be surprised at how ordinary some of the changes are. Where when I got into this business 25 years ago, you'd go to the place and, you know, the hair on the back of your neck would just stand up. And now I go to the place and, you know, the nuclear material is in a vault and, you you know, a huge steel door and to get to the vault, you have to pass through a detector and a, a you know, steel bars that you have to swipe your magnetic card and put in your password and there are guys with machine guns around and it just warms the cockles of my heart compared to the way it was before. All you need are detectors, maybe a proper identification system for getting into the place, a vault, some guys with machine guns. But beyond that, a big process of the work to reduce the threat of nuclear terrorism has been in consolidating nuclear material. 
Instead of having a bunch of small field spots, just put them in one place to reduce security costs or really beef up that singular location. And it's it's usually hard to think about a single secure location in our technology-focused world and like the era of cloud-distributed systems, but it makes a lot of sense. You have to physically grab the nuclear material if you want to steal it or smuggle it. So putting it in one place and just watching that one place super closely is probably better. But Professor, can you give us some other examples of maybe some progress that we're actually making today? More than half of all the countries that used to have potential nuclear bomb material on their soil, high enriched uranium or plutonium, have gotten rid of it. Uh, and uh, a lot of that work was done by uh, a U.S. program uh, called the Global Threat Reduction Initiative that was operating starting in about 2004. And, uh, you know, it paid for a lot of the work of, of moving that stuff out of various countries and so on. And that that is continuing. We're continuing to remove dangerous nuclear material from vulnerable places around the world. Um, and we're continuing to work to uh, improve the security of the places where it's going to remain. Um, we still have more to do, and we ought to be doing it faster and in a more focused way. But still, we've made enormous progress. It's a pretty weird time for nuclear security. You know, there's been a lot of progress made since Obama launched the Nuclear Security Summit. But of course, not enough. So, what are the problems now? I think a lot of the difficulties that we have are the same ones that we've had in the past, just at a different level. And a lot of that comes from how ordinary of a process it is, right? You just put some guys with machine guns, watch for insiders, and don't let spills happen during transport. But if we look towards the future, a lot of problems come from these new technologies that we're seeing in the business airspace. And it's the problem is how slow the government is to incorporating some of these. There hasn't been much consideration of adoption of these newer innovative technologies that are changing the world. So really, I think what we need is a new paradigm of nuclear security so it can be more efficient and robust to changing environments. If you want more information, go to our website at nuclearwarriors.com. Just check out the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, or stories you want us to look into, send us an email at alton at nuclearwarriors.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to everyone next time. <laughs>